What is the real catalyst for any major change in organization, including digital transformation? I interviewed William Rue, the former CEO of Lenly's Digital, and also being the CEO of GE Digital and the Chief Digital Officer for GE in the past. So William shared with me what is the one thing that makes a huge difference when it comes to transforming entirely your organization. So stay with me. That's an amazing episode. Now, remember, it's also on YouTube. So now let's get started. Hi, everyone. I hope you are well. So welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. And today I'm very happy to have with me Bill, William, Bill Rue. And Bill is most recently served as a chief executive officer for Lendlease Digital. And in his role, he built two new businesses to help transform the real estate industry. And Lendlease Digital is developing the world's first set of autonomous building products to automate design, supply chain, and operations. And he serves as well on the board of directors for both startups and also serves on the board of directors of Magna International. Prior to joining Lendlease, Mr. Rue was the CEO of GE Digital and the Chief Digital Officer for GE. And during his tenure, Mr. Rue led the charge to develop the first cloud-based platform for the industrial world and establish the GE Digital Business Unit. So he's a recognized expert in emerging industrial internet of things. He helped establish the Industrial Internet Consortium and was a member of the U.S. Department of Commerce, Commerce Digital Economy Boards of Advisors. He had executive management position as well, you know, in the software internet industry like Cisco, Software AG, Advisory Board, and many others. Has been a board member of many other companies and also serve as a non-profit board, including the vice chair, of, vice chair of the board of the American Chamber of Commerce of Australia. He's also an accomplished author for four books and frequent speaker on topics as, as we said, industrial internet, IoT, industrial AI machine learning, and digital industrial strategy. So he was in Sydney, just returning to US, and now he's living in California. So Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be here, Andrea. Yeah, awesome. So Bill, um, I'm really intrigued by your experience. First of all, congratulations. It's an amazing experience. And uh, you, you really have worked with you know, large companies, great companies, and you've been a top you know, in top seat, top chair for many, for many of them. So what has been probably, before getting to what you're doing now, but what has been maybe one of the major insights of having worked from, you know, with GE, for example, that's probably the most obvious question, right? People are always curious to know, you know, um, from people that work in GE. Um, so major takeaway from working with such a large companies? Well, I think I had a, a couple of couple of things um, there. I think you know we were we were certainly trying to create uh, digital transformation within the industrial sector and to help to push forward that agenda within uh, GE. Um, and then we saw an opportunity to create a business out of it, uh, which became GE Digital. Um, and and I think a couple of things going through that is. You know, today even every company is trying to figure out what's its digital strategy. How does it transform? Um, you know, you you no longer just do physical products or physical services. You you have to have a combined physical digital delivery. Um, 
really in order to be, I think, to position yourself for success because technology change is happening. And um, this is really, really hard uh, for any company to go through. And I think whether it was, I saw this in Cisco, moved and and led it at GE, led it at Lendley's. Um, while there's a strong strategic desire, the ability for any company to be able to do that transformation or that transition is extraordinarily hard. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really discussed in this book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, very famous book. But that's really the challenge for any company today is how do they establish digital in the business and how do they dis- establish digital to create new offerings for the market to make themselves successful? And what I learned is that existing cultures and existing businesses often find it very difficult to embrace the change because in some cases it competes with it um, or they're scared of the change that has to happen or they like to do things the way they are. And what I've learned is the soft skills are the most important thing. How you help the organization through it is more important in some ways than what your technology is. And I think everyone needs to understand that you got to fit the change with the culture of the company. You've got to uh, embrace this idea of you've got to work with the existing businesses and help them uh, understand and embrace the change. Because without it, you find yourself going slower uh, than you would like. And it's fascinating, not surprised, but fascinating that just, you know, a few weeks ago, um, I interviewed the former CEO of RS, RS Group and major large organization. And he said, you know, if I consider one thing that's been probably the most important thing for me as a CEO of organization is culture. So it sounds like we always get to culture, although it sounds like a very difficult thing to tackle. But it's definitely the enabler, the catalyst for massive change transformation organization. In base of what you're saying, it sounds like that we are definitely in the same on the same page here. I've been involved in digital transformation initiative for a client in the past on a TLC company. And I have to say, one thing that was missing was really the, the human element of that. So they were so much into the the technicality of that change, you know, project management, technology, digitalization, product. What was really missing was really the human element. So I think we're going to get probably a bit deeper into that because it's such, a, such an amazing and interesting topic, I would say, for everyone there. And also, I, think, I don't think it's a surprise that you know, all the stats that we read about you know, 70%, 80% or whatever digital change initiative, they fail. And I suppose that that's, that's probably in the ballpark. And what you say is, I think, is a good, is a good point about how to solve that. So before getting maybe a little bit more into the weeds of that conversation, um, you recently left uh, Lendley's uh, to return to California. So you just ended your, was four years, four or five years? Five, more five years, exactly. Five years. Five, years. five great years working for them and living in Sydney, Australia. So fantastic yeah. experience. And it's a great company. Yeah, that's awesome. So what is what are you up to now these days? So what is your next move? So I'm always curious to hear, you know, what people are creating, you know, whatever you are creating. So I'm sure that you are creating something. So what what's what's next for you? 
Well, I'm I'm still involved with Lendlease, so I'm uh, I'm on the board of two startups that we created um, that are majority owned by Lendlease, and um, you know we're still helping to uh, with the mission of pushing those two startups forward, making them successful for Lendlease. I, as you mentioned, sit on the board of a public company in the automotive space, Magna, a great supplier uh, in the in that space. Um, and and so, you know, I'm in the midst of figuring out my next chapter. I think, um, like most people, I think the opportunity with um, generative AI, but just AI even more broadly, um, is is probably the big transition that I think, you know, we're as much as people think we're moving fast, we're in the first early days of this technology. And I think yeah. the idea of figuring out how it applies, what can be really done with the technology, not just enabling it, but how do you how do you bring it forward to change the way industries work or various businesses work? And so I'm in the early stages of working with a number of of startups and and looking at opportunities to help push this forward. Because I think these new startups are going to uh, are, are are going to be the big companies of the future, and so I, you know, I'm I'm f- firmly committed to trying to figure out that as my next stage. So it's a it's a great time, by the way, to be making yeah. this transition. It's part of what I what I really believed it was time to do. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect time, especially in that sector. Because look, my personal. Uh, assertion what's going on right now, especially from a corporate perspective, that corporates, they are intrigued. Uh, they can definitely see the value primarily on the productivity side, but they, I'm not sure they figured out yet how to use it in a way that is meaningful, I would say. So I think there's, right. a, there's definitely a space, right? You agree with That's that statement? It. That's right. And I think, I think it's got to be industry specific in order to be effective, to yeah. see the changes um, it's not going to be a general purpose um, capability. You need these general purpose capabilities from Anthropic or OpenAI or Google or whoever um, as the underpinning. But the real question is, you've got to figure out really what problems to attack. What what are the best use cases? Because there's a lot of value in healthcare or in energy or in transportation that's going to change things, but it's really finding the right, you know, use cases and then applying it to provide a solution. That's when big companies get interested, right? Because they're, they'll struggle with, there's so many things they could do with it. How do you figure out what the right thing is? So right now, I think the opportunity is in, in companies that can really figure out how to solve some very mission critical, high value problems and deliver a solution. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. You always start with the problem. So if you're not clear yeah. on what problem you wanna you wanna tackle, then it's gonna be very difficult to understand how technology is gonna is gonna really helpful help you. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, B, let, let's have a chat a little bit about your past uh, while you are figuring out what the future will be for you. Um, I mean, as as I said in you know in introduction, you have an amazing experience um, dealing with working actually with two different companies, but especially the last two, I would say, you know, Lendlease and G, although, you know, you work as well with Cisco. 
very different one from each other. Yes, always involving technology element, the digital element too, but very different. So there are though some common challenges, especially from a CEO standpoint, that you want to draw as a conclusion of the experiences? Um, yeah, I think that the, you know, it's one of the things I just talked about um, was this idea that um, the uh, it's the difficulty of culture and the company to be able to uh, make a shift. And, and I think people underestimate that. That's why I think a lot of digital initiatives haven't been as successful in organizations. Um, but I think the second thing, you know, that, uh, you know, companies find, struggle to deal with is monetization of the technology. Um, and you're really faced with a couple of key uh, decisions. And as a, you know, as a CEO of an organization, you've got to figure out how do you make money with the technology? And mm. you really have two choices. It's either got to be embedded in the existing products or services, or it becomes a line of business or both. And the problem with the existing, you know, uh, systems is that oftentimes you got a different group who's responsible for it. So you're your customer is yourself and and getting them to embrace it can be very difficult but you know i think that that that's one way to go about it which is embed it in your existing products and services it's probably uh it, it's really more of a cost center then and uh then it is a profit center i think the the other one is and it's really the more harder one is that company creating new products and services that complement their mission, what they do? And how do you choose to monetize it? Do you create it as a division? Do you spin it out as separate, uh, a separate company, whole, maybe wholly owned or with other investors? And that requires all kinds of new and different skill sets often that companies don't have. Mm. So I think that people have visions of creating uh, these kind of digital transformative efforts. But they often don't even start with that first premise of monetization. If you can get the monetization right, then the technology is often, you know, uh, is is often easier, although it is hard, but it's often easier than to go execute it. But you really have to make those decisions up front. You've got to be clear on it. And the organization then has to drive it from the board to the uh, to the rest of the company, the other divisions, et cetera, in order to be successful. Uh, so anybody who wants to be the, call it the CEO of a digital group, either within a company or a spin out of a company for a digital group, um, you know, it's a different kind of leadership and you've got to be up for, uh, you know, running that, that kind of a, kind of a business. It's not a pure startup, but it's not a pure, uh, internal, a traditional business within the group. So it's a it's a hybrid and I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, and to go a little bit to be a little bit more specifics, what different leadership you think is required to drive the, you know, the important change about technology or digitalization organizations? Because I'm sure there are so many people in our audience they are they've been trying maybe before, they've tried before, it didn't work. Maybe right now they are still into major digital technology transformation. So maybe they did not think about different leadership. Maybe they have been used the same style of leadership and because maybe, you know, it worked well in the past and that's what they're already showing up, what they're already showing up right now. 
there any different elements that come to mind based on your experience? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, and again, these are things I learned and wish I, I, I focused on, but you always wish you'd do it better, which is, you know, um, how do you, how do you sell it across the organization? How do you engage the rest of the organization? Because they can every day choose to disengage. And as a leader, uh, they are core constituency, if not a core customer. So how, you know, this is often the hardest thing for, you know, someone who's running a, call it a GM or CEO of a business line of business. Your, your customer is inside and that can be the most difficult set of relationships and, um, and the most difficult customer to sell. And I think, you know, most people, uh, you know, that skill set is, is something that's very, very hard. I think the second thing is that, you know, you're not a startup. You're not a pure play startup where you can go fast and you can create the rules as you go along. I think companies who chose the idea that, oh, it's a startup, we're going to keep it independent, it can operate under its own rules, found that that didn't work work well either. I think it's it's not a startup in the same way. You know, it's a, it's a startup in a big company. So the second thing is you've got to be able to, you know, go fast like a startup, but work within the culture and the processes of an existing system. And there's no way around it. And if you force the um, the idea that you can ignore all that, or in mm. worst cases, you denigrate it in any way, you'll find that it doesn't, uh, the system, the antibodies come out, right? And uh, so as a leader, you've, you've got to be able to work within that construct to start with. It's almost easier to be a startup because you can make all the rules and be in charge of it and so on, where within large organizations, running these new businesses is probably the most complex leadership, I view, uh, required uh, uh, right now. So is it fair to say that an existing and, and maybe you know, a business that has a sort of legacy, heritage, past, which is, I suppose, many people are anchored to, is not an ideal condition for driving major, you know, changes around technology because people are not used to, they don't necessarily embrace that change, are a little bit resistant. The culture, the existing culture maybe doesn't allow people to shift or to adopt different way of doing, of doing business in organization. Is that what you found in your experience? So, because yeah. you know, when want to go back to the cultural element, right? Yeah. So is the culture essential, either the enabler or the preventer for that? Um, well, it's it can be both. It depends on the leadership yes. that you do to to embrace the culture and figure out how to use it as an advantage rather than a disadvantage. And just giving a couple of examples, look, every business, uh, you know, it has its own people thinking through adding digital capabilities within that business. So if you got a digital unit, business unit, now you're coming into another business unit. Uh, they have people who are smart. They got people who are thinking through this. They understand their customers. And so one is you've got to deal with this, that they're going to, they want to own their digital future as well. So how do you enable that? Not say, I've got the answer. Here you go. 
because that's not true to begin with. And, and you've got to be able to make that. You've got to be able to work with the elements making the shift within the traditional business units. I think the second, um, the second thing related to that is that you've got to find, um, you, you almost can't start with trying to solve every, work with every business unit. You've almost got to find the, the rabbit, the, you know, the, the coalition of the willing, I like to call it. Can you, you got to focus, and, and this is very hard because you often want to do everything, but you got to focus on, on one place and start with the coalition of the willing, because I, I do find that in any organization, if you just find one place to get started, you often find the organization is, is it begins to see success. So they embrace it uh, going forward. So, you know, that, that has to be part of your strategy as a leader is, um, you know, thinking through where you're going to focus uh, in your strategy and making sure that you're, uh, you're clear on finding the coalition of the willing and then working closely with them and then celebrating that success uh, to show others how they can get value out of it. Yeah, so my takeaway, uh, two takeaways from what you said. One is the traditional top-down transformation or change is it, not going to be necessarily very successful. Um, on the other hand, if you find some specific area of the business where potentially can become a, you know, a ground for something different and people can embrace it, they can see the value, they become essentially the ambassadors, they become you know, the real change agents in organizations. And if you appreciate the work, et cetera, then they can spread the word and then become something more viral. Is that potentially right. what you're saying as an approach? That's right. And, and then that monetization comes into play. And I find this right. is the last hurdle often, even if you get all the things right that I just mentioned. Um, you know, all business units, you know, they'll want all the technology for free, which is fine. Maybe then you're a cost center. If you want to be create a business that's viable, self-sustaining, then the monetization is they have to buy something or resell it through their own product chain. And that's often where the biggest conflicts come from. And you have to be able to work your way through that monetization because you can't, you can't have a self-sustaining business unit where the, the rest of the company wants it for free or then you have to decide it's the cost center. And I, I think a lot of times that monetization is not well thought through uh, and it gets in the way within the company. You know, well, I never thought about monetization at all. So that's a very interesting point of view about the importance of monetizing, you know, the digitalization that you are producing or generating to turn it from cost to revenue so people can understand the value of doing. I think it's very interesting. It might maybe not work necessarily in all kinds of businesses, but I can yeah. definitely understand and see the value of that. That's brilliant. Um, you said before, you need to be, as a CEO, you need to be extremely good in selling, right? Now, uh, something that I always say to everyone, clients included, is you're selling every single day, right? So we're selling ideas, we're selling thoughts, we sell strategies, we sell changes. So we sell every single day, although we don't relate, you know, what we do in terms of selling, pure selling, but it's influencing, it's engaging, That's enrolling right. people. Right. So what has been maybe a secret for you to enroll better people 
So you, you mean, you said strategically what is the best way to deal with it. But in terms of communication, in terms of you as a leader, what really worked for you? Well, I think, um, you know, early in my career, uh, you know, as I observed what made great, great leaders in any company I worked for, what you, you know, the first thing you always saw is that they were um, really outstanding communicators. Mm. And I think oftentimes that soft skill is uh, not everybody naturally comes around it. Uh, you know, I think the ability to develop that, your communication skills is important. And then on top of that, as you said, I always say everybody sells. In fact, the best CEOs I worked for were the best sellers in the company. Like they met with customers, they sold what was there. Yeah. So this idea of being a great salesperson, it's not, you know, it, it's not about being a, 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 you know, a salesperson. It's about being an influencer, but you are selling. You have to get people bought into what you're doing. And I think the, the you know, certainly being a great communicator, uh, you know, I continue to strive to improve communications, to think about selling, to understand, you have to have good EQ. You need to understand the position the other side has, which makes a great salesperson, and then embrace and adopt your approach to getting to a, when people say win-win, it means you're really listening to the other side and embracing that. And, um, but then, you know, I think you've got to get your own culture of your organization aligned to that because uh, you're not the only one representing, you know, what you do. And uh, what I found is a lot of times that, you know, you don't have great communicators in your own organization where you really need that, especially in any innovative organization. Because if they're not all pushing the message, if they're not all delivering, you know, the mission and the glory and what success means and where you're, you are, then uh, there can be mixed understanding about, well, do they know what they're doing? And I think this idea of how do you get everyone in your own organization able to communicate effectively, able to sell what's being done is, uh, is often overlooked, right? The top can do it, but you've got to, especially in anything innovative, you've got to drive it all the way through. And I think that's what makes successful companies in Silicon Valley, right? Every, you feel the mission, the communication, you feel, okay, that's a successful company. Is it fair to say that the current, maybe an extreme hierarchy or over complex organizational structures, they don't necessarily, or then let me put it another way, they potentially prevent people from, from being closer to, to the message, to the selling proposition, because they are so much into the silos, into, into the execution element. Because, I mean, look, I don't think it's a problem that you can solve through training. It's not only about training here. I, I think what we're talking about is learning really how to influence people. Which yeah. there is an element of training, but also there is an element of people's ability to share, you know, a purpose. The why we're doing what we do is is talking, you know, with the specific, yeah, I would say listening skills, empathy, but the interest, the curiosity. So I think there is a pattern of micro behaviors that will definitely help people to really learn how to engage other people. So. Just want to make sure that we're not just talking about communication skills per se, because that's not what we're talking about here. I think it's more, right? 
It's more than that. In fact, um, my observation of, and having worked for some great CEOs in my career, every single great CEO I worked for, they were curious and self-learners beyond the norm. And so, you know, I think that's really the, the thing you've got to get your own employee base. Every single one of them have to be curious and self-learners. Curious meaning asking questions and uh, always come prepared to ask questions in any meeting, in any interaction, so that you're understanding and learning, you know, before you're trying to sell. The second thing is we're self-learners. And even at GE, which has a fantastic, you know, education learning set of systems, uh, the first thing you, they always said is you, you're responsible for your own learning. You're responsible for, you know, your career. And the, you've got to take the time to figure out your own, um, you know, process and education. And I, I think most people think it, the company is going to do that for me. And yes. I always tell my employees, you do it for yourself. And then you advocate for the things that will help you learn more. I love that. And, and I think that's really the hard thing, Andrea, is nobody ever tells your employee, you got to be curious and a self-learner. And what does that mean? And I think the best people do it naturally. But I think it's something we have to teach that soft skill. Yeah, I love that. I really love that because to me, in order to do exactly what you said, um, what is really required is a massive mindset shift in organizations from being a victim, things happen to me and they are done to me, to become responsible and taking the responsibility of being different or doing things in a different way. And, you, and you're right. I mean, un until that mindset really shifts, I think we're going to probably still see employees complaining about things that are no opportunities, are no, they're not there for them, or why things are not happening to them. At the same time, employer, they concern and, and complain why employees, you know, they're not taking initiative, why they're not showing up. I think there is an element of that. Maybe from a leadership standpoint, probably the lesson is how really can leaders stimulate that, right? How can leaders support and help people to change their mindset about curiosity, about learning. So I think there is something there. I think it's a very valid point. I think probably it's back to the culture. What culture you want to create for organization? What are the micro habits, behaviors that need to be? So I think, there is, I think the two things that you said are definitely interconnected. And the other thing I would like to say is, back to your first point in terms of asking questions, be curious, we also need to create an environment where people can feel safe to do that, right? Because you're coming from very prestigious, a really incredible honorable company like G. I don't know much lately, so I can't say, but definitely G. Now, the reality, as we probably both know, is that in many organizations, their ability to speak up, to have open, transparent conversations where you know you can challenge what is happening. It's not necessarily in place because it, the different leadership, different type of CEOs. So I, I guess, you know, what, I'm, what I would like to say is we have to create that condition, the environment, so people can really do their best and play at their best, provided that also they have the mindset shift I was talking about. 
Does it? Does it make That's sense? That's it. And you know, just touching on that a little, little further in a different way, I think this is where today every CEO is struggling with this return to work because because mm. I, I love the technology we're using it. You know, fantastic today. But I think you know, in person, when we all came to the office every day, culture was built because you were surrounded by. You know, people who had been there a long time. By people, you learned through those interactions. You built trust through those interactions. You, you know, you could hear what's important informally. And now, you know, the meetings are very transactional. I show up. I have a meeting. I do the purpose. But the the things that surround it that CEOs know are important to allow the things we just talked about to occur are no longer there. That structure isn't there unless you bring people physically together. And I think that's that's the issue of complete work from home versus complete go to the office is you've got to blend that in some way to yeah. make that really effective. Otherwise, you know, that's why people become less engaged or feel like they don't have the opportunity or feel like they're not growing. So what happens is those who are natural at it they move up and everybody looks and says, well, why is that person exactly. moving up? It's because exactly. they naturally do it. And everybody else used to get it by that physical interaction. I think that's my my thesis for it. And what I try to get my own people to understand is there's a place for, for really physical interactions that are required. Um, and you can't replace it just digitally. No, no, you're right, hundred percent. I think it's the, I think probably the challenge, which is a fair challenge, especially for large and the localized organization, is finding a good balance where people can still have the level of flexibility, you know, to work remotely, but at the same time not missing the opportunity to stay together. And That's of course, exactly as right. always, right? Exactly right. As Andrew. always, we find or we found, you know. Too many extremes, particularly pre and just post COVID. I think now more natural. I think organization they are finding their rhythm, but it's not yet a problem fully solved. But yeah, yeah, it definitely has an impact on culture. I can't, I yeah. can't really disagree with you at all. Um, well, I, yeah, Bill, go on. No, I was going to say. Look, I think the other thing that's relate that's uh, related to this. The only other point I would make is. Um, you know, I think as leaders, I think it was great to be a CEO probably 30 years ago. Um, okay. Because the, the, the level of change and complexity was mm. very different. Yeah. Right. I think we yeah. all, you know, I can remember the 80s and 90s and, you know, you, you thought there was a lot of change, but it actually was compared to today, it happened slower. And, um, you could deal with it. Whereas today, the level of change and complexity uh, that's occurring is, uh, as a leader, you you have to be able to quickly pivot. Um, just think of COVID. You've got to, you had to quickly pivot, and those who pivoted faster did better, and those who pivoted slower did worse. Um, they didn't necessarily even come out of COVID all that well. You know, we've got, we were globalized, we were moving towards a globalized society. And now we're, we're starting to see that fracture. And 
and I think that the idea that you can uh, uh, interest level changes skyrocketing, I, it, all these changes are happening at a pace that seems much higher than ever before. And so the ability to pivot and adjust as a leader um, is probably, I think, a, a skill set that has to become uh, more embedded higher up in the priority. Because 30 years ago, you could set your strategy and work through it. You didn't have as many changes impacting it, as, at least I believe. And today, you know, we live in white water. We don't live on a lake and we aren't sitting in a boat on a lake paddling it across. We're in white water where things happen so fast, rocks are coming at us, and that ability to adjust your strategy and your execution and pivot, I think, becomes more and more important. And those who pivot faster, I contend, are actually doing much better as organizations. I agree, fully agree. Do you think that's you know, looking at the future, and the reason I'm asking is I'm writing a book right now about the future ready CEO. So what sort of CEOs will survive and thrive in the future? And I'm looking at a different, quite different, maybe top-provoking elements of a different type of CEO as individuals, more humble, more genuine, more transparent, more open, less egocentric. So all the things that to me are going to drive actually better performance. I'm going to, and I'm writing this book right now, and I'm always curious to hear, based on all what you just said, do you think that the future ready CEO, those that are going to be successful in the future, will be then different than the CEOs of today? Yeah, I think, um, look, I think the great CEOs today probably already exhibit all that. I think the great CEOs yeah. from 30 years yeah. ago probably exhibited yes. all that. Um, yes. But I, I think the difference is, I think you got, you got to have almost all CEOs exhibit it or the, or companies will struggle. I think, for example, resilience in the face of change. Um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with it? Because it's just coming so fast. So you've got to be very resilient. You've got to be able to deal with all of it. And you've got to be able to communicate to your employees that everything, that there's a, there's a way through it. I think the mm. second thing is, uh, and I'm not sure resilience was as much <laughs> in the scheme of things thought of in the past as a core competence, but I think that has to be important. I also think, you know, the everything you mentioned, it's a the employee base is very different, and especially with this. Uh, and you said it; you, you've got to be more practical on work, you know, return to work. It's not going to be always in. You could dictate that, but studies show that people aren't actually listening as much. Um, yeah. You can, but you don't want them always working from home because what's what's a company if not those people in the culture? And so, how do you mix the blend? So, I think this ability as a as a leader to be transparent and less dictatorial. And I think in the past, you know, CEOs were known for being dictatorial and driving that. And on the other hand. I, do, I think the one thing that you can't give up on is holding steady on the results that are expected and making sure you reward for good results and that you uh, that when results aren't there, you know that you're practical on how you think about how people are rewarded so that people stay focused on the mission of the company. And 
I think there, you know, there's a nuance to dealing with all this that 20 years ago wasn't quite the same. Yeah, totally makes sense. And talking about resilience and be ready for and be ready to pivot, to be flexible, adaptable. What is it, what does it take today to be a CEO at a personal level? So, what is the impact on the personal life? Is it, in other words, you think that the complexity, the higher complexity, all the uncertainty is requiring or is asking CEOs to be different, to perform different, and he has maybe bigger impact on their personal life, personal health. So what's your view? Maybe pressure, stress. So always really individual basis. So there are people, there are CEOs, they're dealing naturally and well with everything, or or you think there is an increased level of demanding on... On, on, on personal toll, if you like, on toll on yeah. personal life. Look, I think that when people, you know, do become CEOs or leaders of big organizations um, where they have full responsibility, you know, there's a lot to be done. As a leader, the demands on you are constant and you almost are on 24 by 7. There's very, very little, quote, zero downtime or I'm just going to disconnect, right? You're, you're, you're on all the time, whether you're on vacation or uh, it's the weekend. I mean, you're almost always on. uh, And, and what happens is I think you can get so caught up in always being on that you forget about everything else and that's unhealthy. Um, And for example, it's just hard to be healthy when you travel. So you got to have yeah. some discipline to your personal health. I know I went through this, uh, you know, 15 years ago, and it took me a while to lose that 30 pounds and get back to something uh, that was normal. And you've got to be able to be disciplined around your personal health and, uh, uh, and realize it's not a sprint, but you got to realize mm-hmm. you're always on. So making the moments to deal with health and discipline about how you apply that. I think it applies to relationships as well, that, you know, strong personal relationships in your family, whatever those are, you know, that's your safe zone if you set it up right. And I think for the best CEOs, what I've noticed is they have a strong interpersonal, you know, call it uh, home life or personal life, however you want to describe it, where there's a safe zone to go and really you know, talk about anything. You've got to have that. Otherwise, it's all bottled up in you. Otherwise, your health starts to deteriorate. Otherwise, that ability to be 20 on 24 by 7, to deal with and be resilient, goes down tremendously. So for me, it took me a, a while to figure this out. Otherwise, you're just living on adrenaline. You're just uh, reacting and trying to push the business forward. and you know, it's never ending. There's never a point where you go, okay, you know, if I just get to this point, we always fool ourselves. When I get to this point, oh, it's going to get so much easier. Well, once you get to that point, there's just a whole new set of things to stop fooling yourself. You got to deal with it uh, in a different way. And I think those are, those are skill sets, again, that not all CEOs do well. So their personal life suffers, their health suffers. And as a result, I think business performance suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more. That's, that was brilliant. 
All right, Bill, we'll get to close to the end of the amazing conversation. So just have a last three questions, you know, for a very, very, very quick answer. So, so maybe you said already, but maybe there is something more on your learning. So in other words, there is one thing, you know, among many others that you think has been the major learning across your entire career. Yeah, I think um, it's that the developing the soft skills, what made you successful to get to the point to be that big leader, that big CEO, um, won't be the set of skills to take you forward. And the soft skills are the ones I often see that no one takes uh, as strongly as they need to. Communication, relationships, uh, and the ability to manage a board. And that's probably the number one thing a CEO has to really get good at that they almost have no experience in is managing that board effectively and working in partnership. So to me, that was the big shift from one to the other. Yeah. And as I always say, if you're not good in managing your board, the board is going to manage you. So that is the challenge, you know, that many CEOs definitely live with. Um, on the other hand, is there anything that you know, looking back, you would have done differently in your career? Um, look, I, I would have gotten on that um, curiosity, self-learning. I had some of that naturally, but I realized that I'm responsible for seeing the world. I'm responsible for learning Gen AI. No one's going to, no one else is responsible for it. I'm responsible for figuring out, you know, where things are going, which companies are doing well. I'm responsible for going from you know, over 40 years, I've gone through so many tech shifts. To me, that is the number one skill set. Every, every person who wants to be a great leader has to, has to really learn as fast as possible because the world changes so fast and everything you may have known five years ago may not be relevant for what you have to do tomorrow. So to me, I wish I'd, I'd gotten on board quicker with that, but, um, Look, I, I think everyone, you know, that's true for everyone. You know, they, nobody tells you this as, as much as you need to be told. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. All right. So last question. Um, if you are a book reader, so is there any book that really has changed your life, made a huge impact, either personally or professionally? Uh, I'm going to go old school with this, and I, I've already led into this. You know, it's... Um, uh, and a lot of books are out there with these themes, but I thought I think the one that really impacted me the most was The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen and Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. And both of those are still as relevant today, 30 years on, as they were then. Because if you're going to innovate, you got to realize, especially in large organizations, you got to realize that Innovator's Dilemma still exists. And you've got to figure out that crossing the chasm is what's the right approach to try to push this forward. Now, there's a ton of books out there you could look at that talk about that. But to me, you know, I will reread those books, you know, every five to 10 years just to get my mindset, uh, you know, in, in the right place about anything new I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's great. Great suggestion. And, you know, as an author, I can say, you know, if you write a book that, is going to have such a long-lasting impact and people can read it after 20 years is because you made a great book. You wrote a great book. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so that's a great tip for any book um, 
potential author or people that want to write a book there. Bill, thank you so much for that conversation. It was just awesome. So where people should go if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, you can go on LinkedIn, uh, just uh, link, you know, the LinkedIn site, Bill, Bill Rue. You know, one word, that's oh, my... William. I think it's William under your profile. Uh, it's, it's, always it's, 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 my name's William, but the actual link is Bill Rue. Just Bill Rue. Ah, okay, great. Are you H? Perfect. Bill, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. So you share some very interesting uh, insights. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Andrea. It's great. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm.